equity of up to £150 million. You're not the other fan, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. I am your host, Andrew. You can follow me at a Stedka. You can follow us at Tottenham Depot. I've got a packed, packed show for you today. I've got two of my favorites alongside and a visit from Shuban later in the podcast as well. We'll start by throwing it out to at DSM Spurs. He is Scott up there in the Pacific Northwest. He's celebrating the Houston Astros this weekend, defeating the Mariners in the Major League Baseball playoffs. Scotty, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. What a weekend, sports-wise. Yesterday, especially the baseball game was nuts. Um, I do got to say too, start calling it the depot. Let's let's be correct here. <laughs> he wants my, to uh, he wants to use the English pronu- the, the proper yeah. English pronunciation. <laughs> no, but so yesterday we're at the we're actually at the eat watching the Astros game, and I think maybe at home. Anyway, sometimes yesterday I was I I was talking about something and said the word letter like that I would write right and my wife just gave me this super long lecture about how it's not d's and I need to say the word correctly it's not letter it's letter and I need to like enunciate my t's properly and speak the queen's english and I don't know it's whatever it happens a lot in my household oh. isn't it the king's english now I had yeah. that thought actually so thank you for there correct. you go Growing growing up, I always had to learn how to say Washington, as in yeah, Washington. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure. Um, I I, yeah, I could never. Right? I I always threw an R in there. It was always Washington. Washington. Because of where I grew up, yeah. because of where I grew up, that was the dialect. It was Washington. So I rooted oh, for yeah. the Washington Capitals, not the Washington Capitals. I had to learn how to say Washington and exclude an R that is actually not there. So that's uh, awesome. Yeah, that reminds me. Of, well, and, and so and for Cat, my wife, it would be Letta. It's not ER because in South Africa, an ER becomes an A. Shuban will do that too a little bit, actually. Oh, language just, language is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It really is. It, and, you know, I say this all from the seat of the person who speaks the totally, totally just mangled version of English, right? So um, whatever, though, I prefer it. <laughs> I hear you. You heard her voice already. Caroline is also with us at CG Stefco. Kaz, what's up with you? Uh, not much. Uh, enjoying a, a calmer day after a pretty hectic week. So I finally got to watch a Spurs game uninterrupted. That was nice. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I. It, it has been like Scotty mentioned it. Like it's been a wild sports couple of days, weekend, whatever. Between you know a wild college football day yesterday, baseball. There's been a lot of soccer to watch, and we have been watching a lot of it. Um, it has been just a crazy, crazy time. Um, I, I had to watch Spurs on on the DVR twice this week, and then I only got to see about the first probably 30 to 35 minutes of the Spurs women game this morning against Liverpool um, before I had to bail uh, because I was down marching in the Phoenix Pride Parade. Uh, shout out to um, the folks down there. And like it's just been a lot. It's been a lot of watching recordings of of soccer matches and such. So uh, that's actually where I want to start off because it's fresh in our minds. Uh, Spurs women pick up a one nil victory uh, over Liverpool this morning at their new home, the home of Leighton Orient. Um, and Caroline, this was it felt like a 
professional victory, I guess. Like I said, I only got to see about the first 30 to 35 minutes. I saw the, the goal. Um, but t- take us through this one because this felt like a, like a controlled win for Spurs women, right? Yeah, I think it was kind of in keeping with our recent performances and that we had a really strong first half, you know, got our goal scoring in early. And then second game, it was more game management. You know, I was talking to Scott, I think it was earlier, about how our conditioning is still not quite up to the level that I think Rianne Skinner expects it to be. So we see in the second half, we kind of have been tapering off a little bit. And, you know, Liverpool, they're, they're a newly promoted team, uh, but they were very dominant in the championship last year. So this wasn't a team that we could, you know, underestimate by any means. Um, but I, I think they... They, they are good at set pieces and not much else, it would seem, right now. Um, they, they don't quite have the, the creative football um, that you would expect to see from a top-flight team. And the biggest threat they posed was in the second half, they brought on their long throw-in specialist, Megan Campbell. And, you know, I, we had obviously prepared really well for that because it didn't cause us any trouble in the end. Um, but, you know, I think... First half, we, we played really well. Celine Bazette, she was a real standout um, playing on the right wing position. And she was the one that forced the own goal. Um, she was, you know, crossing into the box. And I think even if it had not deflected into the goal, um, Nikola Karchevska was right there to collect. So really great stuff from her. I just wanted us to get another goal, but promising signs all around with Ash Neville having another really good game. Drew Spence is looking a lot more comfortable on the side. Um, they both had shots that hit the crossbar slash post. So what did you think, Scott? I know you saw all the game too. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still, uh, I would say, uh, much less versed in all things women's team than you are. But I think with each game, I, I start to understand, I think, what we're doing more Um Today, I think more than anything, I was just impressed by how oppressive we were as a unit. And like you said, the conditioning, you and I talked about it, it definitely showed. I think it was maybe 60, 65 minutes with spitball in there. It could be off a bit, but right about there where where you could tell we didn't have the press that we wanted to have. And mentally, we, we were just behind, you know, our, I guess we were ahead of our feet, right, is the best way I could say it, and you could tell. But that'll come, you know, It's I think it's easy to forget that we're much earlier in the women's season than we are in the men's season. Right. And they're not parallel right now. So the conditioning will come, but um, yeah, we were, we were absolutely impressive. And it, um, uh, Drew Spence, like you said, I heard her name a hundred times today. Right. So, so you can tell that, that Drew is betting in and um, I uh, I'm excited to see some depth too. You know, like I said, I don't know too much, but, um, you hear a name like Ellie Brazil coming off the bench, right? And I know enough to know that that's an exciting signing for the club and a bit of talent that that will welcome off the bench, right, as the season goes on. So, um, but yeah, for me, I think more than anything, each and every uh, match that I watch from from the women's team is just you know kind of back to the days I've said it before of 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 rediscovering Tottenham and just kind of taking it in and and not be not being as like in uh as deep into like the, the 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 analyzing of the match itself and really just like enjoying watching the football right so if that makes any sense 
the the two things that stood out to me, like I said, from only watching about the first first 30, 35 minutes of the match were, as you mentioned, Caroline, Bizet looked incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. was just creating so much down that right side. Um, and then the other thing that really stood out to me was just the three center backs looked so calm. Everything at the back looked yeah. so in control. And it's what allowed the press to really do its job. And and the high press was really on point. I think the only thing that surprised me when I, you know, I was and I was following along, you know, the, the result of the match, um, just wasn't physically watching it. But the only thing that surprised me was that Spurs weren't able to add a second. Um, it, it like that's why I kind yeah. of deemed it a professional win because it's like you got the goal and then you just kind of held possession and and you know possession ended up being a lot closer um, than it probably felt. It was fifty two forty eight in, in favor of Spurs, but um, honestly, it was it, it kind of almost it felt like a, about as dominant of a one nil as you could get because it didn't just didn't seem like there was a lot going for Liverpool and a lot of that had to do with that back that that those three center backs in the back that were just incredible. Yeah, I agree. The defense is looking uh, in a much better place than we saw in preseason um, with Amy Turner really getting integrated. And I think Shalina and Molly are both back to their best. So I think, you know, it's okay for us to be having these kind of professional performances right now because we do have this early season injury crisis that we've talked about before. And we do have promising news on that front that we have some players that are still on limited minutes, but coming back, like we saw Jess Naz got to make an appearance off the bench today and she's really important to the side. So that was a relief to see. And, you know, I found myself thinking uh, during this match when, you know, Drew Spence was having all this joy in the midfield, we still got Kit Graham to come back. And, you know, she was playing against this Liverpool side. Like I know we would have scored more than one goal. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see her back. We also have uh, Chioma Ubagagu is going to be done with her suspension after this match. So she should be available for the next one. So it'll be interesting to see her come back in. Obviously, we haven't seen her in about a year, but, you know, she she posed an attacking threat in the few games that I did see her last season. So I'm excited to see her back. And that next match for Spurs women comes up Saturday, the 22nd, uh, home against Manchester City. So an, a good challenge there. Spurs, it's only three games for Spurs so far, but they sit seventh on the table on six points, um, just three points ahead of, of of those Manchester City women. So maybe you can put a little distance between the two if you uh, can pick up another three points, which would be nice. But uh, as I said, early going in the Women's Super League, uh, it is, you know, nothing to nothing to get too worked up about after three matches. But Spurs did look good in this match and, and look good in their last time out in the Conti Cup too. So, uh, you know, Things, things to build on from, from that standpoint, I think, uh, in terms of looking at Spurs women. So it's a, it's a good good thing all around. Um, you guys want to talk about the men's side? Because they had two games this week and two victories that I thought were different, very different to wins. Obviously, different competitions. One a Champions League win, one a Premier League win, but just very different feeling matches for me. Um, even though they were both, I felt, I felt like kind of dominant victories in, in their own kind of way. Um, let's start by talking about Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, midweek in the champions league. It's a three, two win at home for Spurs. This was the first home game back in a while because they had the, the break with the NFL games being played at the stadium, uh, and things of that nature. So, um, lineup wise, not really a whole hell of a lot to dissect in this one. 
Um, we knew we were going to see Emerson Royale back on the, at, at the right wing back spot because he was still serving the suspension and I think is still serving one more game in the league. If I'm not mistaken, he'll miss the Manchester United match, but then will be eligible to play next weekend. Um, other than that, you know, pretty standard. I, I wouldn't even call it rotation. Sessegnon's in there. You know, Longley's back uh, in the back three. It, just not a lot Not a lot to, to, to write home about in terms of the lineup. The way that the game was played, however, it, it felt like Spurs in this match in the early going were just dominant i guess you could say i mean they 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 gave, they fall down but it didn't even feel it kind of felt like it went against the run of play to me um and they fall down but then immediately come back with three goals before halftime to take a 3-1 lead into the half and caroline for me this felt about as complete as it could in the 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 3-4-3 because it, it didn't feel like they were getting you know it it just felt like after what happened the previous week against Eintracht in a nil-nil this was just kind of Spurs inserting their will and, and inserting that home crowd on a, on what is a lesser opponent. Right. I think the, the home crowd did play into it a little bit because this was, um, you know, another game where they were playing in honor of, of uh, John Piero and the crowd was behind them the whole way. And with the Champions League, I feel like we have to just come to expect a certain level of chaos, which we saw in the second half. But yeah, the first half was was looking good. I was never concerned that we weren't going to get a goal back. Um, and it was a great performance from Sonny, which was especially encouraging. Yeah, um, it feels like he and he and Kane have their connection back. Um, you know, in the last few games, they seem to have been clicking better, which is a great sign. Um, and you know, Kane. <laughs> I don't want to jump ahead, but. Getting, no, go for getting it. the one getting the one penalty and then missing the second one it's that's very rare so i i feel like the game could have been you know much more safe especially with frankfurt going down to 10 men and could have even been nine you know pretty easily with um their other center back having you know risked a second yellow yeah he got taken off shortly after the 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 you know the the almost second yellow card um you brought up sun let's 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 focus in on sun here for a second before we move to kane um i thought he just looked so fluent in this game scotty i mean it, it was he obviously got the, the 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 early goal but then the the volley goal off the foot of hoybier was some of the more magical it was one of the more magical runs of play that i've seen from spurs this season um i think it's the goal early candidate for goal of the year for, for Spurs, obviously it's only October, it's mid-October, like we're not making any massive conclusions, but the way that Hoybier, and and trust me, Hoybier is another guy we're going to have to come on to a little bit in this podcast because of what he did in Saturday's match against Everton, but Hoybier, the way that he's playing and the way that he was able to charge the, the ball down, you know, down into the box there and loft a perfectly, you know, flighted ball for for Sonny to hit on the on the volley, it was just some of the more magical play I've seen from Spurs offensively this season. Yeah, it was incredible. That was just such a such a a world-class finish. Um there's very few people who can hit a volley across their body with their off foot. I don't think Sun really has an off foot actually, but he, he does technically right and it's his left foot. But I think um holy shit just what a finish. And you know I think the ball the ball from Hoybier is great. I also have to put so much more emphasis on the finish than the ball, though, because you kind of just play that ball, right? Like, um, 
you play that ball somewhere in the vicinity of sun and that's up to him to do something with it, right? So sure. it was a good ball, but the finish was fucking incredible. Um, and, you know, I think sun, sun's definitely back. I think we have to bear in mind that against a European opponent, you're going to just get different looks, right, than you're ever going to get in the Premier League. So I think I don't expect him to be banging in, you know, those types of goals week in and week out, or, you know, 38 matches in the Premier League, but it's a, it's an amazing finish. Um, and Frankfurt is, you know, they were just kind of running with their heads cut off at that point, right, which I think gave Sun that type of space too, but never take anything away from the finish. It was incredible. I want to pick up on, Andrew, what you said about it being kind of magical from Sun. Because I feel like we were getting this message from other fans in the league and pundits that, you know, Spurs are just barely scraping by this season. We're getting these results that we, they, I, they're implying we haven't earned. And I just don't understand it because when I think about the goals that we've scored this season, so many of them have been top quality goals. It's not like we're getting these like scrappy, you know, deflected chaos in the box kind of goals like our 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 plays are working so I'm just kind of frustrated with this perception that we're you know just barely scraping by right now it doesn't feel that way to me I think more than scraping by I think it's I I wouldn't I, I get what you're saying I wouldn't label it as scraping by I would label it as still figuring it out which I think is encouraging because the results are still there while this team is still figuring it out um, you know, Sonny has had two, and I think we can really only say two absolutely incredible performances this year. And it's the, it's the games that he's scored in and he scored multiple goals in. obviously Lester, the hat trick, and then this game, but I don't think he's had the, another outstanding performance that came without a goal. I think he's had very good performances that came without goals, but specifically when you refer to son in that, in that way, I think. I think his two outstanding performances have come and have been very easy to pick out because he's scored multiple goals in both of them. Um, I, I think that on the whole with Spurs, when you're talking about scra- I, I, I get what you're saying. I don't think they're scraping by, I think they're, they're doing what they've got to do and, and still figuring out a lot of things and a lot of, you know, they're still integrating a lot of new players. Obviously a lot of new players are brought in this summer. So, and you're still dealing with a manager who is, still approaching one year with the club. Like it's been under a year still. Um, So he's still implementing exactly what he wants. And we're seeing signs of it, you know, click with some players. Uh, Eve Basuma comes to mind, a guy who's only been here a few months, but is already starting to, you're starting to see it click. You're starting, I think you're starting to see it click even with Hoybier. Um, I think he's a great example of a player who we all like, Think of, I think there's a perception with a player like Hoybier who he's a defensive midfielder. He's just going to sit back and, and, you know, win the ball back and, and move it forward to players who can do something with it offensively. But what I saw from him specifically on that goal to Sun was a player who is not Christian Eriksen, don't get me wrong, but he's got attacking capability. He's got, he's got that in his bag. He's got that club to play. Some, something that we see him do with Denmark quite often, frankly. And that's what people have been crying out for. So I think Conte is getting more out of these players, which is what you always want out of a manager and what you always expect out of a manager, right? Yeah, and I, I get your point about, you know, we're, we're not at our top level yet. I would agree with that. And I, I think that's just where I'm feeling the disconnect is, 
it seems like everyone else thinks we're going to fall off. And I, I see it as, you know, we're going to get to another level soon and then we're really going to be getting the results that we want. So. I, I, I think you're spot on. I, I'm not going to sit here and like do my bullshit. Oh, we're going to win the league regardless of my name that you guys can always see now and we'll keep it at that. But I think, uh, I really, really firmly believe in my soul that we're going to be battling for the league at the end of the season, whatever that means, right? And I think today's results continue to show me that that's not, like, super far-fetched, right? I'm not saying today's results get us anywhere. It's very early in the season, but it just tells me that we're going to we're gonna be able to hang around. Um, and a big part of that's Conte, right? I Lee Dixon was asked, and you may have said this already, carry on, so sorry if it's repeat, but when Dixon was asked, you know, where where do Spurs uh, fit in, you know, the first thing he said, regardless of him doing his best to back away from it, was that, was that Conte is in charge, right? And history tells him that Conte could go and win the Premier League this season with Spurs. So um, it's very interesting to see because not only do we have a very bought-in team and guys like Javier, to your point, Andrew, who are, who are really figuring out how to make the system churn well, but um, we've also got a lot of talent that we haven't had in a while, right? We, I don't even think we had this much talent under Pochett at any point, regardless of what we want to say we felt, right? It was, no, it was I, I, I don't, I don't, it. I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's not even close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, maybe talent, but experience mixed with talent, not even close, right? And so, I don't know. I think there's something special going on at the club right now. Um, you know, they just bonded over something that's absolutely tragic and i'm never ever saying that happened and it's gonna like benefit us god forbid i would like i would easily give up a premier league season or title so somebody could keep their life right that's not my point but they bonded through something tragic together and they're 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 just clearly more than than a football team right now um and they a lot of these guys have been through that before with potch they've been a family and they're kind of refining that right under a new manager um so it's yeah. Uh, there's every reason to think we can we can kick on um, and do and do exactly what the pundits are going to want to think we can. I'll tell you, Scott. That's not something I had thought about, but that's a really good point. And I I, I get the point that, that you're that you're making in that you know this club did go through something uh, a week and a half ago and has won three games since that, and it has you know they've rallied around each other uh, and and they've they've been forced to they've been forced to to you know to to go through something tragic together and they've been forced to play through it because you can't just pause the season when a member of your your team uh passes away so suddenly you've got to go out there and continue to play the games and they have they've rallied through it and i I do think there's something to be said for this this group of players doing that because there are and and i'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that if there are certain other players that were still involved in this club, that they wouldn't be able to have, have, have rallied the way that it did and come together. But there is something to be said for the fact that a lot of the players that, that, that weren't working out here and didn't want to be here any longer aren't anymore. They're, they're not hanging well, around and, and the players that are bought into Conte and got bought into his system and want to be working and pulling, you know, pulling on the rope in the same direction for Spurs and playing for the badge, they're here and they're doing it. Yeah, and you're well said. And to further now our point, right? I think 
the the two times that we've really seen a uh, a family unit form within the squad now, right? That we've just discussed. The manager came in and said, "You're talented, but get the fuck out because you're a pain in my ass." Right? right. Both of them did it. Adebayor, we paid the dude 110 grand a week to fuck off. We literally said, "We will pay you your 110 grand a week if you just stay away from the club." And I'm like, Pochettino convinced Levy to do that, right? So I'll still never understand that. Levy haters, write me, DM me, and fucking figure that one out, right? But I, but but ultimately. I've seen it happen twice now, and both times a manager came in and said the unit's bigger than the individual. Lacelso gone, Tonky gone. Like, see you, you know. Hate to say it, Winks gone because at that point Winks was frustrated too, right? And I wish him all the best, but but you cut what you have to cut, right? You to 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 trim trim the squad down and then build it back out, right? I don't. You can't build like a lean machine if if there's fat all over the place, right? So you got to trim that and and then rebuild, right? So. That's what we've done, and and again, I've seen it two times now, and so I just think when you look at what we almost did the first time, every reason to think we could actually do it the second time, right? So. No, I, I I totally agree with you there. Is um, but before we move off of talking about Eintracht Frankfurt, do we do we? I don't even want to invoke his name because I did it last week on the pod, and it turned into like a fifteen minute discussion. But do we want to talk any more about the substitutes we saw? I, I was glad we saw Oliver Skip and Ibasuma come on. It felt rotational. It felt after we had gone up a man. Um, and then Davinson Sanchez came on as well. But late, we saw Luke, both Lucas Mora and Brian Heal come onto the pitch. And, um, you know, Brian Heal was the one that won the penalty that Harry Kane missed late. Um, do, do, you, do you guys want to say anything about the subs, specifically about Lucas and, and Heal, who – after an injury to Richarlison against Everton, it may may end up seeing some of the pitch in the coming week. Who knows? Well, with Brian, I think we all know he's not the finished product yet, but the only way he's going to get there is with some time, actually getting some game time. So I, I'm i glad that he got these these minutes in the Champions League, even if they were sort of limited. And I think he did his best to show what he has to offer. Unfortunately, he also showed the downsides of his game a little bit in both both matches. Um, you know, defensively, I think he has some vulnerabilities, but there's no denying that he's he's a player who has some create creativity in him, and that's something that we don't always have in the Tottenham side. So I don't know. It's he's one of those players that I just can't make up my mind about, and I think that's okay because he is so young and un, unproven. You know, he's just got to get out there and figure it out, and we can all figure it out together. Fair enough. Uh, Spurs yeah. still sit. Oh, go ahead, Scotty. No, I, I was just going to say, you know, I uh, I do think that, uh, you know, as you alluded to, not enough heel time on the pod, so I'll just give a, another quick 30 seconds. But I, uh, I do really think that he has, is showing us what we all kind of knew, that he was talented, somewhere but we weren't quite sure if it was going to be able to like take full effect right um i remember when we signed him and process he said i think he can be the next federico chiesa which i definitely like paid attention to and who the fuck knows if that's even like relevant at all right but i just thought that was interesting um he certainly would have to get a lot stronger and i know they're working on that but but i don't know i just i hope he keeps all i'm saying is i think ultimately i keep the get 
I hope he keeps getting chances to show flashes of that, right? And then it builds up to something more. But I still think the only way forward for the guy is regular minutes. And that ain't coming right now at Spurs. So we'll see. We will see. Uh, Spurs still sit top of the Champions League group now uh, on seven points from the four matches. Uh, Marseille and Sporting are on six points, Eintracht on four. So it's still really tight uh, with two matches to go in the group stage. Spurs, of course, host Sporting in their next game week, um, and Marseille play against Eintracht. So technically with a win against Sporting, Spurs could clinch at least advancement. They wouldn't clinch top of the group unless Eintracht were to beat Marseille, but I really don't care if they finish top of this group. I just want them to get through at this point. So it's, it's very weird with the draw sometimes. And when you look across the other groups and how things are going, like it doesn't always really matter that you finish first in your group. Sometimes it works out better. If you don't finish first in your group, you get a, a better look at a draw in the round of 16 anyway. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But again, Go win, go win your next home match, and maybe that final match week against Marseille doesn't much matter, and you can really find an opportunity to rotate there. Um, gosh, wouldn't that be nice? But we shall see. Uh, no Champions League this week. It is a Premier League match this week, which we will come on to uh, a little bit later. Uh, before we talk about the Everton match, I did mention earlier, I, I talked with Shuban a little bit about this. He was at this game. We talked about the vibes around the club. We'll listen to that right now and then come back and talk Everton amongst ourselves back in here with shuban and uh we wanted to get his thoughts because you know recording times and time zones and 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 things of that nature uh you know are are allowing him to to share his thoughts on the last week in spurs uh you were you went to the brighton game correct shuban no i wasn't actually at the brighton game i was um so that was a bit of a cock up but yeah i was actually i was at the everton game yesterday and i almost was actually at the untrack frankfurt game but because I'm actually coming, for those of you who don't know, I'm coming to the US pretty soon. I've been working so many hours just to get everything done yeah. before I get out. So, yeah, I, w- I did go past it. And um, there was something I think I shared with some guys in the depot. Was, um, when I came in, obviously, when you go to the West End, it's a very fancy stand. That's where the clock is and the original clock and everything else. There was a huge mural to um, uh, Jan Petra Ventroni. And that was, which is very, very touching. Because I've never... Yeah. I think I think when Queen Elizabeth died, there was obviously things for her, obviously, and that made that made obviously a lot of sense. There was a lot of stuff on everywhere, but I've never seen such a something so big. That it maybe no, I haven't really noticed it before, but it was just so obvious. And considering that he was only with us, for, say for nine months, I mean, just to put it in context, John Duncan, who died, who's who died, I think, also in the last couple of weeks, uh, he spent four years at the club. Uh, he's famous for actually getting Chesterfield, who were a Division Two club to their fake up semi-final, which is unheard of. And literally that year, Tottenham went out in the first round or something, or the third or fourth round. I mean, that's how bad Tottenham were. So, yeah, and it was, but like I said, it was very touching. And um, yeah, but obviously the Everton game, it was great because obviously I met some of the Portland Spurs. So Andy, who I'd met before, uh, he, him and his guys came up and there was actually an Englishman who was actually, who actually confused Andy with Scott. Because he, because because obviously Andy's describing like, oh, I'm from like Portland, specific Northwest. Because oh, are you guys on the depot or something on the yeah, depot, and, yeah. <laughs> and he confused this guy. So to the to the Englishman that um, did ask Andy from Portland Spurs, please reach out to the depot, and we'd love to. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That would be fine of course to find out who you are. But no, the game's interesting because the first half, nothing really. I mean, obviously you guys want to recap it, but 
very little happened of any note. I mean, Everton, I mean, one thing you did notice is they were a lot better defensively, much better than they were. And that is as if they had, I don't know who they had up front because the only time we, we got scared is there were these two moments where there were these, these big, massive looping balls. We got caught out a couple of times. I think there was a couple of errors. And if they had got them, they would have been, oh my God, it would have been an uphill task. But that aside, I cannot think of anything Everton did attacking. Even when they're a goal down, I don't know what I mean. They didn't. I don't think they brought on a striker until very it seemed, late. It seemed like the game calmed down when they went down. Like those final thirty or so minutes, it almost seemed like they had given up any hope, right, of of giving a goal. Did it feel that way in the stadium? I, I mean, you heard their fans pipe up when they, um, obviously, Jamie, when they when they had chances, a couple of chances. But apart from that, no, I don't think I've heard a peep from their fans. I obviously it's different because I think there was a train strike on Saturday. So that would have made it very difficult for people to come down. Obviously, it was a five o'clock kickoff, five thirty kickoff. So that makes it a bit difficult if you're driving driving right. back or whatever. But no, I mean, in terms, from what I remember, I mean, like they were. I don't remember much of Everton doing anything. I mean, I think they're obviously. You you heard booze when obviously Alex Roby played because obviously he's ex Arsenal, right? But apart from that, no, it was just. I, don't, I want to say a formality, but as soon as that first goal went in. And obviously, I think I think I shared on the group. So Andrew knows I'm very very superstitious. And whenever I see Kane, this is this is where I was going next. Don't worry, I was going to ask you about this. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I mean Kane. So Kane misses the penalty midweek, and you sent us. I was a video. watching. I was watching. I was watching that penalty. I thought I didn't watch the first one, so I hid in the toilet for the first one. And the second one, I thought I'm going to watch this penalty, and then he misses. So this time, I thought definitely not going to watch this penalty. And I was literally, as I've done so many times at the game. With my eyes closed, recording the penalty moment, <laughs> and I heard and a cheers in the group chat, and it was uh, comical. The fact that you <laughs> said you watched this but didn't really watch it because your eyes were closed. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just very superstitious. Look, I, there's a guy I train with at the gym, and he he has the exact same like track bottoms for every single Spurs game. That yeah. has no effect, but it's what we buy into. But no, like I said, I was actually in the north stand. Normally, I'm in the south. And, um, but for, well, for, I, I got a very last minute ticket, decided to, you know, stood up in the north. And, yeah, it was actually all right. I mean, one of the things I didn't realize, um, and uh, there's actually a sensory room actually right near me. And so, so unfortunately, what happened was I had some kids that were, had sensory overloads. So they kept, obviously, it was too much sometimes because it's so much, even your other thing. So they kept going past me. So every time I was trying to watch the game, they're like, can you get up? Yeah, so so apart from that, not that I'm insensitive, but obviously I didn't realize that at the time. But it was an amazing atmosphere. I mean, there was one little girl who actually was a mascot, and she I think she was about five or something, and she her dad was telling me she was a mascot, and she had no idea whether we'd even played what what whether Spurs were even winning or not, let alone. So when you ask Scott, he says, "Do we even play today?" I don't think this girl even knew <laughs> what no. what was going on that much. So yeah, it was like I said. I think the what the most interesting thing was when. Richarlison went down. I was I was I wasn't over the six. I was I was in the north. But when Charleston went down and he saw Basuma come on, there was a noticeable change. And I don't know if the Americans have this phrase, but it was if the handbrake was released and we were able to play. I don't the best yeah. because I honestly I saw that I was like wait, Bentacle's going forward, Hoybier's going forward, what the hell's going on? It was as if they would have given that freedom to play, and is, and I noticed that we sound very stupid, stupid to say this, but even though you technically lost an attacker by Richarlison going on, going off, 
we actually gained two attackers yeah. by Basuma coming on and it's those two becoming, becoming attackers. And then I think there were moments... I mean, the only thing I could say about, was it Perisic? I, it sounds really weird to say, because he, he had a decent game. Because I actually met, I met a Croatian family who had come over. And I was, my first thought was Luka Modric. Because when you see a Croatian flag, the first thing it was, our oh, great is a Croatian player, which is Luka Modric. And they're talking about Perisic, but... When I saw Perisic first time properly, it was 2018. I think he was about 28. He's now 32. And I don't know, but he did look as if he looked he looked really fatigued. That I, He just didn't look that... I mean, all, that, do you know that wonderful technique? I think how much game it was. I think it was Fulham or whatever it was, Wolves. And he still had those moments, but they weren't... That sharpness wasn't there. There was a little bit of timing that just wasn't right. And... Time, yeah, as they say, is undefeated. <laughs> Time is undefeated. But I, like I said, when I mean, I think because one of the things you because we, we were saying, like when Seth, well, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting. When Spence came on, there was such a cheer. Sure. Not just for, obviously, 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 Skip was coming on. I think Luke was coming on. Obviously, Lucas is very well liked. But Spence, you could tell there was a lot of um, goodwill towards him. Yeah, there's a lot I of anticipation know. for that. And I thought that was a that was a moment as well. Um, before I get before I let you you know get off to bed and because of the time zones and everything, I want to ask you the the vibe because you you're gonna understand the vibe I think better than than most. I mean we we all get to look at the internet and see what people are saying on that, but the internet's not real. You get to, <laughs> to, to know you get to know the vibe of of this club and and being around this club yeah. and being so close to it. The vibe of this club after two wins, one in the Champions League midweek, and then this win over an Everton side, which I think we can all say is is lacking in something. But going ahead now with what what lies ahead in these final, I guess it's eight or nine games before the World yes, Cup break. I think it's three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I've so I think yeah, so I think so three, what is four the, weeks. What is the vibe? I mean, it, it feels kind of like this is a a positive turn after there were some struggles there, especially to get going. It feels like the vibes are good right now, turning into this you know little sprint toward the the World Cup break. Am I wrong about that? I don't think you're too wrong. I mean, like I said, it's just, I think. One of the things, obviously, obviously, because we, we're going into our um, winter, as in, like, obviously, it's, it's winter everywhere, but our, our, the clock's going to go back, I think, in an, about a week or so. And obviously, when that happens, there's a bit of downturn of mood and everything else. But I don't know when you when I was watching the game, there wasn't like, obviously, look, when you look when when players miss or there's there's a little, there's an incomplete pass or a, a tackle, there's always the groans, especially yeah. from the Paxton. That's just what's going to happen. But no, I don't think there was. I think there was a lot of enthusiasm. I mean, I, I said I was. I stayed in the because I think we they had to kick us out, and I, I've never stayed in the Spurs because I normally I would actually leave the Spurs, the stadium to go to the pubs, but a lot of the guys wanted, especially the Portland Spurs, they wanted to soak up the atmosphere, and it was about half eight, and in the goal line bar, it the numbers had obviously dwindled a little bit. Between obviously, say, seven, between half seven and eight, but literally, there were still people going strong there. And I think that doesn't happen if there was an optimism, do you know what I'm saying, within sure. Spurs. But like I said, I mean, I mean, for me, the biggest thing, I, 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 I'll say this now when Basuma came on, we didn't actually, I don't know whether fans are a little bit hesitant to do the Basuma chant kind of thing, but everyone, you could tell there was a real appreciation for what he was doing. You could just tell that people were looking at him and thinking, "This is what we needed." And yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of love for Charleston, and I think when he went down, you could just, you could feel like 
it wasn't like he went down and suddenly like there was a big like ow what do you mean like a scream or anything i think he, I, don't, I can't remember how he went down but he was you saw him and he looked in agony and yeah like, I, I missed it but i think he just went out in agony and then when basuma came on it wasn't a case of oh basuma why are we not bringing a strike like lucas or brian hill or something it just felt like i don't know they just seemed like a good vibe between everybody really yeah, and I honestly I don't want to say this. I I like I have a huge. I mean, obviously, as you know, I think you've met I think Borley online. I think one time the Everton the Everton podcast. But honestly, I don't want to say Everton were there to make up the numbers. I don't want to disrespect them that way. But it was as if I honestly felt that you know what, if they could have just said you know let's just set this game off, we we they would. So I just think Everton just didn't do anything. Yeah. I didn't think like. It was a clear difference in class. It was a it was a clear there was a clear separation. So, but beyond Fulham, even like a Fulham, like they because like I remember Fulham and Wolves. They were like, oh my god, that's I mean, they're, they're a bit tasty. And obviously, the Wolves have fallen away since then, kind of thing. Yeah. But this was honestly the best way I can describe it as it was like a five 0 victory, but we're missing three goals. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. It was just, it was just one of those things where they just didn't. I cannot even even when I was looking for the subs. I thought, who are they going to bring on? I think Calvert Lewin came on, and I think Rondon came on. I don't, I don't, I just, I don't know the Everton squad. I mean, so I don't know, but I didn't see anyone like because one thing you did notice actually, I don't know if you guys saw it from your camera, but I saw the Everton substitutes warming up like straight from the first half, like from the twenty minutes in the first half. Yeah, it was as if it was as if Frank Lampard brought his boys down for a run out. Which I sound, which again, I don't want to sound disrespectful, but just, does, that, does that make sense? It was as if sure. they, they didn't feel they could win this game, which I, which, and I, I, I don't know if it, I mean, the stadium was absolutely rocking, but then again, it has been for a lot of games. When you're winning, everyone's singing when you're winning. The one thing I don't know if you heard it or not, but when after the game, they actually played, oh, what a night. Oh, yeah. They did. And we were like, what the hell? And it was just, I don't know. There's a bit of like, I don't know if, it, I think, I don't know if it's a meta or something when things are like, do you know what I'm saying? When like, because obviously you've seen them on the Spurs, as it, what was it? I think for Benton Court, was, he's the reason, do you know what I mean? Right. And then they're like, gimme, gimme for like, but when I saw oh, what a night, I just, I just couldn't believe that. It makes a lot of sense, and it sounds like the vibes, uh, the vibes, they are good, and they're, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's kind of a sprint almost to the finish of the first half now, and uh, it's good, it's good to hear that everything is, you know, like I said, the vibes are good. That's 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 all that we can really say. Uh, Shuban, I'm going to let you get run off to bed because I know it's late for you, my friend, uh, and uh, we're going to hear from the rest of us uh, going forward. Um, but uh, cheers to you, man. Thank you, thank you for coming on and, and giving me your thoughts and and letting the letting the the, the listeners of the depot know how things are going over there. Good night. Good night, Andrew. Take care. See you soon. Back in here on the Tottenham Depot. Thanks again to Shuban for chatting with me a bit about his experience at that match. Uh, Scott and Caroline with me here. And guys, this Everton match for me felt, you know, I mentioned earlier the, 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 the women's match, the women's win over Liverpool felt professional. This game over Everton felt professional to me. It felt like a just a calm, even though the goal did not come until nearly 60 minutes in, it felt never it never felt out of control. Everton never felt like a threat in this match to me. Um Caroline, this felt like almost like the most complete performance, albeit against a team that I don't think has a lot of teeth going forward. 
Yeah, I had a weird experience of watching this match because I kind of saw the first half from home, although my attention was distracted. And then I was listening to the second half um, while I was in the car. So I ended up going back to rewatch the match in full, which I hardly ever do. <laughs> and I guess, you know, knowing the results already makes it kind of a different experience because um, you're not stressed the whole time. <laughs> but honestly, like, it, it, I don't think it would have been a stressful match anyway. Like you said, we felt in control the entire game. You know, first half, we didn't get a goal, but Everton never looked like scoring to me. And second half was when we really, you know, turned on the gas. And uh, I think with uh, Kane getting his penalty, that was really important for him, you know, on a personal level. Because if he had missed two in a row, that would have felt like very bad vibes. <laughs> yeah, it's always um, the toughest penalty to hit after yes. the one after you've missed one, right? <laughs> yes. But and then with Hoivier getting getting, uh, I think that's his third goal of the season now, right? Uh, yep. Which is pretty incredible. Um, considering his output last season, you know, not exactly voluminous. It was um, two, I believe. I think it was two last season, and it's yeah, been three so already, already this year. Already beat his total from last season. Um, yeah. But he he and Bentoncourt, I think, were kind of the story of this game. Just they're they're almost as in sync as like Sun and Kane are when they're at their best level. And do you disagree? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, what I was gonna what I was gonna say was I, I think. I think you're right to allude to the midfield being the story of this game, but I actually think that weirdly enough, and, and we hate to see Richarlison go down in the way that he did. And, and, and we can come on to that too, because it does look like he's got a long road ahead, a couple of months, and it looks like he's going to miss the world cup, which is heartbreaking for him. It's not, not what you want to see. He, it just sucks all around. There's nothing, there's nothing good about Richarlison going down with an injury. It's an injury that he suffered before. Um, but I thought that, it was interesting. The introduction, obviously everyone thought Kulisevsky was going to be back for this match. He wasn't mm -hmm. Richarlison starts, they start in three, four, three, but it was interesting that, you know, in a nil, nil game in the second half, when Richarlison goes down, Conte decides to bring on Eve Basuma. And I thought that switching to the three, five, two was actually what opened up everything for Spurs. It looked like they just turned, turned on the gas once that introduction was made and the goal came seven minutes later, you know, the, the, the penalty is scored, you know, just a few moments after the switch to the three, five, two. Mm -hmm. And so I, I agree with your, your point, but I'm going to enhance it by saying like, yeah, this midfield looked good when there were three of them there. And it's not like Everton were, were running rush out over our midfield. Everton were not really doing a whole hell of a lot. Everton um, completed 0.43 XG in this game. Spurs were up over two. So it's like, there was not a lot cooking for Everton, even after they brought on uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They just didn't have a lot going forward at all. And Spurs didn't need the 3-5-2, but I felt like once they got the 3-5-2, it was like, oh, now we remember what, how to score, how to, how to push forward. And, and even though they only got the one more goal from Hoybier, it was like, no, this, this looks a lot more fluent. It looks a lot better. And it, I'm not saying Richarlison was holding things back, but that introduction of a third midfielder really opened things up for both Bentoncourt and Hoybier to, to cook and boy, did they cook. Well, and with Richarlison, you know, we know that he doesn't prefer to play on the right side. So in, in a way he's not the ideal um, player for that position. We'd rather have Kulisevsky there. You know, that's a fact, but I agree when Basuma came on, since he took on the more defensive role, he just allowed Hoybier and Benson Kerr a little more freedom going forward. 
And I think Bentoncourt especially um, thrives when we switch to the three, five, two. Um, Cause I don't think that's his natural tendency to get forward. Um, and with Basuma, you know, I've been critical of him. And when I did my rewatch, I made a point to look at him specifically. And I still don't think he's doing anything revolutionary. But the difference between his past performances this season is that he was doing the simple things well. Yes. So if that's if that's where he's at right now, I'm okay with that, you know. And you know what? I think that's what Conte wants him to do. Before mm-hmm. he gets into being the great Premier League midfielder that we've seen for Brighton over the last few seasons, I think he wants him to know the system and do the simple things well in the system before he gives him any kind of freedom to be himself. I think that's what Conte does. He drills his system into players, especially new players. And once they pick that up, fair game. Like if you're, if you're doing the, the, the little things go forward. Um, Scott, what did you think of this match? Cause I thought, like I said, professional win and kind of simple. I, I'm not trying to slight Everton in any way, but they just, they, they don't, ha- whatever it is, they don't have it. Um, and I, it, like I said, I, I watched this uh, similar to Caroline. I watched this game in kind of weird way. I watched it on, delay i had a a golf tournament to play in yesterday morning came back had the game on my dvr flipped it on not knowing anything of what had happened and after skiing after kane scored the penalty i actually jumped in the group chat and was like great win guys i I didn't even look and then i realized yeah we we added another goal but i hadn't i had that much confidence that over those 30 minutes spurs were not conceding that we were Mm -hmm. at least going to win the game one nil it was maybe going to be two or three nil yeah, honestly, there's not much to talk about besides the midfield. They were just incredible. I think it's funny, Caroline, you had mentioned, you know, Basuma didn't do anything. like I'm totally paraphrasing, but, like, nothing crazy, you know. And then I, my immediate reaction was Basuma was immense. Like, and then Andrew bridged the gap because Andrew said he did nothing but – everything he's supposed to do right and I was like oh yeah that's why I thought he was immense right so I totally agree with you he didn't do anything spectacular but he was just always in position um he did make a couple really impressive tackles um from behind the run of play now I it's always like very appealing to the eye but then I'm like you were out of position buddy like good tackle though right so you gotta be careful but I think the one thing that was interesting about Basuma coming on, first of all, I think Conte is still going to favor the three-four-three because of personnel only. Like we we have really four midfielders, and three are like functional right now. It seems right. One is getting there and skip, um, and so I don't know if we have enough depth to really favor the three-five-two. I also wonder how Kulisevsky fits into the 3-5-2, and I wonder if Conte wonders that too. Um, and you got to get him on the field when he's fit, right, no matter what. So I don't know. I, th- I still think we'll see it sporadically, but it was phenomenal. I also think Conte probably found himself in a situation where he was forced to discover that it's probably time to try to figure out how to implement it more, right? I don't think he was probably until – he was forced to really willing to give Basuma that many minutes, you know, but he had to, and it went well. So super positive. But when I watched the midfield, as I always tend tend to do, the first thing I noticed was that 
Basuma was totally just like looking at Dyer, and Dyer was just telling Basuma what to do the whole game. It was fucking awesome. Like, I love Dyer, obviously, right? Dyer, Dyerophile, you could say, but watching him just conduct Basuma was really cool. And I think you need to see a young midfielder like that in a new system at a new team, a huge move for him too, right? Conducted by somebody with the presence of Dyer in those early, early matches, right? So that was cool. But the way that Hoybier, Bentaker, and Basuma rotated, like they all, they all knew exactly when to flip. Like they were all in the middle of the field at times. And Kat called it out, but but Hoybier was calling for the rotation always. Hoybier was dictating the rotation in the midfield too. So that was. You like you see Dyer conducting on the field. You see Hoybier conducting on the field, and I think those two are like keeping the shape at all times, right? But anyways, a huge part of, of yesterday was that midfield, right? They were just immense. They were always in position. The rotation was perfect. When when we're when we're defending, it's like a five-two-one-two, right? You always see, and and they're all in different positions at all times. It's not defined, but like. You'll see two of them sitting and one of them bridging to Kane and Son up top, and then and then when we have possession, it always always becomes um, like a. Um, actually, I don't even remember. I'm drawing a massive blank, but they would. Two, oh yeah, yeah. One of them would sit like as an anchor, and the other two were actually kind of operating as like forward-facing midfielders, but also to- big emphasis on getting the ball right away. So it was kind. It, it was like a 1-2 in the midfield in, in attack and a 2-1, but the rotation was perfect. 2-1 um, in defense, but the rotation was perfect. And I think that's really the only reason why we just played Everton off the field yesterday because Everton is not the shit team that they were last year, right? And I don't think we just chalk it up to us being a much better team. We definitely, definitely played them off the field yesterday. I think they're better defensively. They still don't really have much going forward, which is what we saw. I, I you know, I, I agree with you to that extent. Um, I want to, I want to move off the midfield because I, you said there's not much to talk about. We do have two other things to talk about, and they're both related to the wingbacks. So I want to get into this. Um, our boy Kevin at Knickerbacker on on Twitter uh, reached out and kind of wanted to talk left wing back and talking about the fact that it looks like Sessignon has pretty much won this job. And should Perisic be thought of as a rotation option for Kulisevsky? And we went back and forth a lot. Everybody can can look at that on social media. I know, Caroline, you jumped in on that conversation as well. Um, I, I think that the Perisic-Sesanyan thing on the left side is kind of great. It's a great th- – those two are almost so great rotationally for me because – I think one gives you a little more going forward. One gives you the more classic, you know, in Parasetch gives you the more classic crossing ability and that veteran presence. And, um, you know, is certainly a little slower and, and a little more aged, obviously, um, as they say, father time, he is undefeated, but um, I, I think it's an interesting thing to think about, especially now with the injury to Richarlison, where does the rotation for Kulisevsky come into play once he does return from this injury, which I'm hoping and crossing every finger and toe is this week. Does that rotation then come in the form of playing the three, five, two and just getting an extra midfielder on the pitch, or does it come from somewhere else? Does it come from somewhere like Brian Heal, Lucas Mora? Um, or are we just, cause I, for me, I just kind of want to see 
Perisic now rotate with Sessegnon and that be that on the left side. Caroline, do you disagree? No, I just think he's he can play on the right side, but I think he's better on the left. So if he's not rotating with Sess, I think it should be with Sun. Um, especially with Richarlison going to be out for a while. You know, we don't have Richarlison as an option to relieve Sun. Um, so it's good that the Perisic has that kind of positional flexibility too. But with Kulisevsky, I mean, we just were talking earlier about how this could be an opportunity for Brian Hill to get some minutes. And I don't know. The thing is, you just don't really trust him to start a game. So the way I see it, I think Conte is not going to have much choice but to utilize the 3-5-2 more often. Um, just because you don't you don't want to have Brian playing a full 90 just yet. I mean, well, and Lucas, uh, I'm kind of just over. Yeah. It's help. It's helpful too, though, with the three five two that we have. We we have seen we have seen Oliver Skip come. I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore that comment because I got Sorry, yelled I, at last time. Damn, I got yelled at last time. Man. I brought that up. No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't give a shit. You're you're spot on. Um, the last time or sorry, <laughs> lost my train of thought here. The three five two is is I think being enhanced by the fact that we're starting to see Oliver Skip come on in sub appearances. That's the key. Way back to help. That's the key. So the, if you can get a fourth midfielder within this three-man midfield mm-hmm. as a as a you know rotational piece, I think that's a positive sign. Now, God forbid one of those three guys go down and you're back to bare bones because that remind me, I don't think there's another midfielder on this team. Um, well, star, but right, another midfielder mm-hmm. that's getting any playing time, um, yeah. and that's I think that's kind of what it is. But yeah, I think. I think that that Kulisevsky's rotation is Basuma essentially. I think that's who, you know in a similar way to we saw Basuma yeah. come on for a Charleston after he got hurt. I think that's the rotation for Kulisevsky is that every once in a while we pop into that three five two, we let Sun and Kane cook and and go from there. Now the problem there becomes where is Sun and Kane's rotation? Because outside of that, you know, are you gonna maybe one game let Kane and Kulisevsky cook in a three five two? Are you gonna let Sun and Kulisevsky cook in a three-five-two to get Kane a rest? I don't. I just don't know. I think. I think out of those two options, I'm more intrigued by the possibility of Sun and Kulisevsky, just because I think they've built up their partnership a little better than Kulisevsky and Kane have together. You know, when they're working in a front three, obviously. Yeah. But I. I just think they have a little better chemistry. But then, of yeah. course, you're relying on help from the midfield still. So it's yeah. you know. It just becomes a problem. The other place I wanted to go with this conversation is to the right side because we saw another start in in this match against Everton from uh, from Matt Doherty and who I thought looked really good, awesome, looked the part. And everyone knows that I'm an unabashed Matt Doherty. Get on the pitch as many times as you can, supporter and Redheads Unite and all of that. <laughs> um, but I, I just there's such a stark difference. And, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, and I don't want to belabor the point, but there's just such a stark difference between when Darty is on the pitch playing right wing back to when Emerson Royale is on the pitch trying to play right wing back when he's really a right back. And I think that our, our boy Reed Simpson reached out because he, he asked, and I think this is an interesting point that he makes and an interesting question, and I want you guys to discuss this. He said, I might be crazy, but it seems to me like Romero – is a way better player with Matt Doherty on the pitch. He's so much more confident on the ball with his passing 
Um, and I don't really disagree. I feel like I feel like Doherty is making the center backs not only better defensively, but it's he's giving them a better ability to pass the ball. And sp- we talk specifically Romero because he plays on the right, the same side as Doherty, but even Dyer. I think Dyer looks a better passer when Doherty is on the pitch as compared to when Emerson is on the pitch because he gives them an outlet and he's a guy that can move the ball forward and find himself in the right spots as a wingback. It's compared to Royale when he's a, he's a right back and he's not great going forward. And again, I, I hate to belabor that point, but cool. the, the, the most interesting thing that came out of all of this is that we saw Jed Spence come off the bench for the first time and replace Doherty in this match, which I think is a sign of, hey, maybe the wheels are starting to cook with that as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, well, I've said a bunch on the show, when's Emerson going to get a rest? It's totally going to be when's Doherty going to get a rest now because Doherty was fantastic and his his positional awareness was perfect. He was never out of position. His one-twos were fantastic. Um, he made a couple of runs off of even Kane that opened up a lot of space. But when he came off at the end of the match for Spence or whatever, Conte gave him the biggest hug and, like – I don't know what he said, but it was like super poetic and like full of love and passion, right? From the Italian. So I, I, I'm very happy for Doherty. Um, I, and you know, to Reed's point, first of all, he's correct, spot on. You, Doherty's just a much more technical footballer than Emerson, right? And I think players know who their teammates are. And I'm not giving Emerson the ball in tight space, but I'm totally giving them. Already the ball in tight space, right? So it's just going to allow the game to flow better. You know, Cat made the comment pretty early in the match. You know, there's so much less space for Doherty than Emerson ever has, and that's because Doherty's not afforded the space Emerson is, right? And it totally changes things. It makes because it they know they can give dynamic. Emerson the space. Yeah, he's not going to yeah, do anything yeah. at all when he has that space. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not Conte, right? Nor will I ever be. You know, from from a footballing perspective, or probably any perspective, right? Conte is an incredible guy, but. Emery, I would probably start betting Emerson in a, as a right center back to back up someone, or I wouldn't really like do anything with him because he is a very good defender. Like I know he's had his moments, Andrew. I know I, yeah. knew, I knew you were going to disagree a little bit, and I don't I don't fault you for that. But I because I understand what you're where you're coming from. And I think he can have good. Def- I think he to. can have good defensive games. I don't think that makes him a good defender. Well, I'll, I'll, I would I'll actually. Yeah, and it's I, I don't. Basically, I'm saying like I don't think there's any harm in having another right center back, but I don't think we need him at right wing back, right? And I and I'm just like this is off the cuff. Who cares what happens, right? But I think Doherty's gonna have to be our right wing back, and I don't know who is. I'm asking the same question: Who's our backup right wing back that I've been asking since since, since the beginning of the season, right? But that's the last question on this team. Everything well, people, else is perfect. People people like Jed Spence, and I know he only got I, a candy. I, I, I do too, but. Like, we'll see, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I I think that's a question uh, for February, not for, for yeah. October. Like, if 90 seconds are a lot different than being the backup right, right wing back, right? right? So, yeah, we'll see. Go ahead, Karen. Well, with Royale, I think the problem with him is that when he's playing at right wing back, which is not his natural position, he when he's in our attacking third, he's just conflicted with his decision making. Um, I think because, you know, his tendency is to want to be more defensive and then he'll remember, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be contributing offensively. 
And I think that's kind of why we saw that, you know, sort of it seemed like a stupid careless foul in the Arsenal game that he got the red card for because he's just torn between two different mindsets. That's how it seems to me anyway. Um, but I do want to say that I, I agree that Doherty had a, a really great game. And I think he does unlock Romero as well because I've kind of been waiting all season for us to see the offensive output from Romero that we had seen last season. And when he was playing with uh, Royale in front of him, we just weren't seeing it. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think Doherty's got to be the first choice right wing back for me. I, I think the other thing that I like about Doherty's game is that he not only unlocks Romero and Dyer a little bit in their passing and makes them better because he gives them that outlet. I think he unlocks other players on the pitch too that he's linking up with in, in terms of the midfielders, Kane. whether it's – whether. Yes, and and Kane, and I think and they're boys off the field. We know that, and that matters. And I think it does. And I think that the other thing that 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 helps him in this regard is that I think he's good in the three four three or the three five two. Like Mm -hmm. I think that he can play with a right wing down there, or if it's just Kane and Son up there, or whatever other combination of two attackers you want to have. I think he works in either setting because I think he knows. And again, this just goes back to being a wing back and be, and and knowing knowing a Conte system like he already seems to having only play, you know we saw it at the tail end of last year before Matty Cash did what Matty Cash did he was coming into his own in the Conte system already so the fact that that muscle memory is there and now the muscle around his knee is getting back to being where it needs to be yeah. I, I just I like him in that spot and I, I'm really interested we've got eight games left before the World Cup break I'm really interested to see how this rotation goes because Emerson, of course, uh, if my math is correct, still misses. Yeah, he'll miss the the Manchester United match midweek this week, but Emerson will be eligible to play against Newcastle and then going forward for the final seven leading up to the World Cup. How do you rotate at the right ba- right wing back spot between Doherty and Emerson? Is it in every other? Is it you know a lot would be dependent on the Champions League qualification, obviously, between the Sporting match and the Marseille match, but seven matches and they are big big matches you got united away this wednesday sunday is a a home match against newcastle then you've got the sporting match midweek at home away to bournemouth perhaps a little bit of a chance for some rotation in that as well um they they do not look like a good side uh the marseille match which again could potentially be a, a chance for some rotation if you get the job done against sporting at home uh then you get to host liverpool early november and then away to Nottingham Forest, maybe another slight chance for some rotation. And then you close out this this run with a home match against Leeds, which is always a, a, a fun challenge. So there's just a lot to be learned, I think, over these next uh, seven games or eight games, rather, about how Conte is thinking about rotating. And obviously a, a huge, not just at the wingback spots, but a huge you know, kind of kinking the plans with Richarlison being down now. I mean, I don't expect Richarlison back, frankly, until the middle of January, late January, early February at the earliest. Uh, just the way that he was talking about that injury and the way that he knows his body, it seems as if he's going to be done for a while, um, which leaves you three attackers with Heel and Lucas thrown in unless you're playing the 3-5-2. The so it it's just, it, I'm very interested to see how all of that plays out over the next handful of weeks leading into the World Cup. And then who knows what's going to come out of the World Cup injury-wise, but you know, everyone's 
hopefully going to get through that healthily. Well, let me go ahead and open up transfer speculation for you. I'm sure, oh, you're, God. Wel- I'm sure you're going to welcome me in that. Uh, Hold on. Let me find the mute button real quick. Getting in in, in October, baby. But no, I, I, will, I will just say briefly, I think the World Cup will pose an inter- interesting opportunity for us to have uh, have a chance to, to get someone in, an, in just a way we never have, right? There's going to be guys who aren't at the World Cup who have a ton of downtime who will be active as human beings, right, thinking and when opportunities present themselves, you know, who knows. So I just – I think our scouts will have a unique opportunity, a big pop-up gratitude himself to, to do some work and maybe get somebody in too. But we're going to have to figure something out up top because I do not – I do not see us, you know, getting far – Beyond Kane, Kulisewski, Richardson, and Son, right? So, yeah, it's it's interesting because in the summer transfer window, when we got Richardson, that seemed like a really efficient use of squad space because he could, you know, fill in across any of the spots across the top three. But then that becomes a problem when he goes down, and you're lacking rotation for all of those spots now. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and not to mention when you already had Kulosevsky down, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that leaves you with Kane and Son and, you know, Heel and Lucas, and, who are not ex- not experienced in it yet. And that's why I feel like Conte is going to have to use the three five two a lot more often because we just can't afford to risk Kulosevsky now. With yeah, the yeah, it's a good job. Well, and at the same time, you can't then then you cannot afford an injury to any of your three midfielders that you're playing, and you're going to have to rotate them somehow. To, if look the. I am not really blaming Conte. I'm not blaming Paratici. I'm not blaming anyone for any of this. We all knew that this was going to be a hell of a season with the fixture. I blame the World Cup. (laughs) You blame the World Cup. And we knew that the month of October specifically, we we, we pinpointed two months before before the season. It was October, and I think the other one is April, where there Mm -hmm. are just matches, two, two and three matches every single week. And it's why we here at the Depot have been potting once a week because we can't we can't pot like we have lives. I'm sorry. I love all of you listeners who want us to pot after every game, but like we have lives. We can recap two matches in a in a pod and talk about what's going on with the club in, a, in, in on a weekly basis. But doing two or three pods a week is, you know, I can't imagine playing two three games a week. It's hard enough trying to keep up. Yeah, no doubt. I I I feel for these guys too. It's it's just kind of shitty that. You know, now we, we've seen in Luis Diaz and Richarlison two major names that are going to miss the World Cup, right? And um, God forbid anybody else, right? I hope I'm not missing anybody. I'm like, am I missing anybody? I hope I'm not. But then I'm like, I hope I am because I hope there's no more. But it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be dicey for a lot of these guys. If I'm Kane, I'm fucking nervous, right? For sure. There's a lot of guys who should be. Let's just hope that the, uh, the 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 U.S. men's national team knocks England out early and and gets them you know gets gets Harry Kane back to Hotspur away like I, that's yeah, pretty much the only to fucking get through the group. It's pretty much the only part of uh, the World Cup that I really give a damn about is getting Spurs players through it healthy. Uh, we're already you know missing that chance with Richarlison because he's already not healthy, but. Uh, it's a it's a tough look, but you know it, it's it's wild. You mentioned the table. I mean, I hate to be a table watcher this early in the season because it is still really early in the season. But Spurs are level on points with Manchester City after they lost to Liverpool this morning. So I mean, what the hell? Like they're four points back of Arsenal. 
obviously they lost that match. I mean, there's a lot to be, you know, looked upon here as, and I'm not saying that these three teams are, are crawling away, but they're four points clear of Chelsea for fourth. And they are seven points clear of Manchester United for fifth, which imagine Manchester United being in fifth at this point, the way that they started the season. Um, But there's kind of a little bit of a divide happening already here. I mean, you look at an eight point gap between Spurs and, and sixth place, Newcastle, like that's you start banking these points this early in the season and everything, you know, everything starts to kind of look good, especially if you can get into the world cup in a really good spot, you can come out of it then and not sprint to the finish, but get this second half going. And you already know that you're in a pretty good spot. Uh, looking ahead so it's it's going to be a fun ride and honestly these next uh what is it four weeks or so where there's eight games is going to be crazy crazy um and and i'm like i said i can't keep up it's it's been it's been hard enough caroline and i are talking about watching games on replay and re-watching games because uh they're just it's thick and fast but like i said this week for spurs it is manchester united uh at old trafford on wednesday and then Sunday, they return home to face a very good Newcastle team, which is not something that uh, I think we all know why they're very good, but it's not something that we're used to saying very often of late. But um, yeah, it's going to be another busy week for Spurs, and we'll be back at it uh, next weekend to talk about it, to recap two more matches and hopefully uh, a lot more health. Uh, let's get Kulisevsky back. Let's let's see what that looks like, because I cannot wait to uh, have that guy come on back and and help uh, help out Kane and Son because they cannot continue to pull the rope uh by themselves. Hoybear's chip again, which is nice, but those those guys need 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 some more help. So that would be great. Uh this has been a fun one. Caroline can be followed at CG Stefko. Scott is at DSM Spurs. I am at A Stetka. Follow us at Tottenham Depot on your social media platform of choice, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, leave us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice as well. It really helps spread the word about what we're doing here and, and talking Spurs with you guys every week. Uh, until next week, this has been the Tottenham Depot podcast. As always, come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, who really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.